Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. We are in the book of Romans chapter 8. It's a series that we've entitled Good News because truly the book of Romans unpacks the gospel like no other book in all of the New Testament. And so this morning, we're going to conclude the eighth chapter. So if you want to grab your Bibles and open up to Romans 8, we're going to pick up in verse 26. And our goal over the next three hours, that's how long the sermon is, is to go through 26 through 39. No, hopefully it won't feel like three hours. Um, Romans 8, 26 through 39. And I've entitled this message very simply, Ride That Prowler. And you, what? Exactly. I talked to a, a friend of mine, some of you guys may know David Guzik, and he, what are you teaching on uh, tomorrow? And I said, Romans 8, 26 through 39, my message title is Ride That Prowler. And he wrote back, Neil, I really can't connect the title to that passage. I guess I'll just have to listen to the message. I was like, yeah, that was my hook. I want you to listen to what, I need some feedback. Where do I need to do better? But anyway, all that to say, this morning we're going to work through Romans 8. And I really do believe that this simple, maybe intriguing, maybe off-the-wall title, I'm hoping by the time that we end our time together this morning, it'll make crystal clear sense of what we're to do with our time together in God's Word this morning. Because in the, in the words of the great late Billy Graham, one of the greatest sins or temptations for an American to fall into is to listen to a sermon. Man, isn't that crazy to come from a guy by the name of Billy Graham? You say, why would he say that? Because there can be this dynamic where we just take in information and think, oh, that's where it stops. Man, that was great. Or, oh, that was, I got a good nap. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, but this time is not just meant to be informational. But by God's Spirit, through His Word, it's meant to be transformational. Not just informative. Hopefully it is that. But it's also engaging you in a relationship with God whereby you know more about who he is, what he's doing, and how to follow him. I can't do that for you. I'm going to do the best job I can to not make it three hours, to, to, to open up God's word, to just explain it. But really, this is a participatory thing between you and God, where whatever he speaks to your heart, you follow hard after. So I hope and pray that in these next few moments, I can serve you well by teaching and preaching and explaining God's word, but I also hope and pray that you're open to what God has to say, that you wouldn't tune him out, but you would tune in to his spirit through his word. Well, Romans 8, starting in verse 26, if you're there, let me know by saying, I've got joy in the Lord. Okay, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer this one. It's more rhetorical, but have you ever been in the middle of a conversation and for whatever reason, you get interrupted. I mean, if you're a parent, maybe more specifically if you're a mom, this is definitely a daily, if not an hourly experience. I mean, my poor bride, she carries quite a load being a mom of five and a half. I sometimes can act like the half. In fact, I think all moms do. And even though it's not Mother's Day today, could we just kind of hear it for moms in general, like how thankful we are for what moms do? I mean, I think it probably wouldn't be a bad rhythm every Sunday to just go, you know what, we need to thank God for moms, you know, not just in May. 
But it never fails when, when my wife calls me, never fails. This guy, or maybe one of these guys, don't let the cuteness dupe you. They can be deviants. But it never, ever fails. Like, when I call her or she calls me, immediately there is a blood-curdling scream on the other line. Or there's something that's been dropped or a fight that ensues. And the mobile devices that we have, they just keep progressing and progressing. It amplifies like this little itty voice into like just a shrill in my ear. And it happens every single time. We can pick up the phone, try to get into a conversation, and it begins, the chaos. Well, once it calms down and we kind of both get a clear head, we both kind of ask, hey, what were we talking about? And I'll say, well, why did you call me? And she'll say, no, you called me. And we're just kind of lost in the midst of whatever our conversation was. Well, it's easy to get interrupted in the midst of a conversation. And, and last week, you and I, we, we kind of had that experience. You say, what do you mean? Well, we're working through Romans 8, and there's just too much to cover. I mean, in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, there's a lot to consider. I mean, throughout the book so far, Paul has been taking his time to unpack some of these powerful truths about God, who he is in his holiness, who he is in his righteousness, who he is as the creator of all things, and he and he alone has the right and the ability to judge. I mean, if you read through Romans 1 and 2, that's what you see. You almost see like, righteousness defined by the character and the person of God. But then he begins to unpack this beautiful doctrine known as justification. This dynamic where you and I, though we are sinners, separated from God because of the sin that's within and the sin that we perform, God, by his love through his Son, when our faith is in him, declares us to be right in his sight, justified. Well, then in Romans chapter 8, he begins to kind of interweave these themes of justification, our standing before God, to this process that he's working in our lives known as sanctification. Well, really what he's doing is God is making us to be who he wants us to be on this side of eternity. Now, in our conversation last week, we considered kind of a few of the highlights of this chapter. And these were the first three, maybe you remember them, that there's a new position that we have with God. That's Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is our position. God's not angry at you or upset with you. In fact, you are made right in his sight because of his son. This is the new position you have. But not only that, and this is where we spent our time last Sunday, we have a new relationship. First, it's with the Holy Spirit this Holy Spirit that God has placed within us and we have this relationship of partnership with him where we keep leaning into, following after, and learning from the Spirit of God. And then lastly, there is not only this new relationship with the Spirit, but also this adoptive relationship with the Father and that leads us to a brand new hope. This hope that one day, one day, there will be this final restoration of all things. Perhaps you remember this. He, he, he shares that for both the Christian and all of creation. Well, this week, the final three, the fact that we have a new helper, the Holy Spirit, 
The fact that we have a new confidence, like we'll unpack Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that he's working all things together for good. And this reality that there's a new future and a new destiny that awaits every single one of us that are in Christ, that one day we will be in his presence, completely glorified in his sights. These are the, the highlights, the backdrop to really the theme of what Paul is sharing in Romans 8. And let me have your attention. Let me see your eyes if I can. Very simply, this chapter, although it has all these different highlights, it's driving home this single truth, this massive doctrine, this big idea of the Bible known as sanctification. And we defined that ever so simply last week as simply the process, the process by which God brings you to be the person God created you to be. More simply, it's life as you're experiencing it right now as a Christian, where we know the author, but we don't always know what the author intends for the events, the circumstances, the plot, the storyline, or the dynamics of our story, our life that he's writing. I mean, if you're honest, you've probably asked this question once, twice, or 15 million times. God, what are you doing? What's going on? Why is this happening? Life as a believer is a process. It's a process whereby God is creating you to be who he wants you to be. And so last week when we considered these first three elements of this process, the reality is if you're unaware of them, if you're going through this Christian life and you're not, you're not aware that you have this new position and this new relationship, if you forget them, if you lose sight of them, here is the natural byproduct. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to become bewildered. It's possible you'll get distracted and depressed. But when you know these things, when you're reminded of these things, they can help you. Not to only understand God's in control, but you know what? You can live in this place where the peace of God guards your heart. You can love what God is doing even though you may not understand it. And last week we, we kind of said, you know, there's three simple things about this process. We, we put it in this way, that the foundation of it is this is a relational thing. You got to remember this. That when you become a Christian, it's not like you then just kind of sit on your heels and go, well, I'm saved, so now I'm just going to be forgiven and live however I feel. No, no, no. The foundation, something you can't let go of, is that as you're walking through this life, this is a relationship with God where you're constantly leaning in, constantly growing, constantly learning, constantly repenting of sin, constantly celebrating the gospel that God has forgiven you. This is foundational. Secondarily, it's this reality that, listen, you've got a good, good dad. You've been brought into the family in an adoptive relationship. And lastly, we know where we're going. This motivation, one day there will be a full and final restoration of all things. He's going to make every wrong right. This is extremely important. As you navigate life, as you go through this process where God is kind of molding you like clay, fashioning to, for you to be a vessel for who he desires you to be, don't forget it's participatory. You can't just sit back and say, God, I sit in the same spot every single Sunday. You know where I am. So if you want to do something, 
Come get me, God. No, 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 no. It's you leaning in. You having arms open. It's you waiting on the Lord. Say, what do you mean, waiting? Like a waiter would wait on a guest at a table, so you do serve the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is not sitting back hoping that God will do something. Waiting on the Lord is coming to and saying, Lord, what about this? Let me serve here. Let me give there. Let me invest my time here. It's a participatory thing. And if you forget that very basic, elemental, foundational thing, no wonder you're a depressed believer. No wonder you're frazzled and freaked out. You're not engaged. You're riding the pine pony, right? You're on the bench. Engage with the Lord. Read his word. Converse with him through prayer. Get to know other believers. The process that we try to define it here at the church is this simple three words. Let's love God. Let's connect together and let's live on mission. Because I really believe that if we as a church are not only led in that direction, but live in that rhythm as a believers, we are doing exactly what God has called us to do, being disciples that make disciples. It's that foundation. Well, as we close this chapter this morning, I've given you so much information, I thought, you know what, I can't throw like three and four and all these points at these people. Let's just do two today. How about that? So today, here's the points we're going to consider through Romans chapter 8. Number one, through verses 26 and 27, I really think you need to be comforted. You need to be comforted knowing what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And then secondarily this morning, I think we need to be a bit more confident. A bit more confident. We're going to see that in verses 28 through 39 this morning. But if you were to kind of take some time and go, now, now, pop quiz kids, what did the pastor speak about in church this morning? Take a little snapshot with your phone. Here it is right here. Be comforted. Be a bit more confident. Lord, I pray as we get into your word this morning, God, that you would do what only you can do, that you would change hearts. Lord, I, I just confess before my friends and my church family here this morning, I need your help. I I don't see everything clearly. I don't do everything rightly. And Lord, I I need you by your spirit to, Lord, just lead this time. God, it's my desire just to serve you by serving your people. So Lord, as we step into your word by your spirit, open our hearts. If there's anyone here this morning that just is kind of already in the dark on what we're talking about, they don't know you. They've never surrendered to you. God, do a work in their hearts this morning. I pray this morning that anyone that doesn't know you here, Lord, that that would change through simple repentance, a turning away of sin and turning to you in faith, that they would experience brand new life in you. Lord, for those of us that are on this journey of sanctification, we're on this journey of being made who you want us to be, God, I pray this morning that your people would walk out of here comforted and more confident in who you are. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Good job, guys. You did your part. Everyone said amen. Verse 26, reading from the New King James. This won't be up on the screen, so follow along with me in your Bibles if you would. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I love this. Paul says, listen, take heart, be encouraged. 
God uses both the hope and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to support believers in the midst of life's burdens, tests, and disappointments. And he points out, you know what? Oftentimes, we don't even know what we really need. I mean, how could we? We're not the authors of our own story. We don't see our life from like the Goodyear blimp as things go from past, present, and future. But God does. We don't always know what's in our best interest. But God does. He knows what our real needs are. So this is what Paul says. Listen, the Holy Spirit actually prays on your behalf with groanings. What in the world does that mean? Well, let me read what one author says. He says, we get the sense from these verses that the groans to which Paul refers are a better form of spiritual communication than words. Perhaps this is because words are limited. Some things can't be expressed with words. Well, if we take this as true, we may also take it as true that the Holy Spirit's groans are not subject to the same limitation. They may be able to express things that otherwise are inexpressible. In any case, Paul assures us that the Holy Spirit prays for us, and this is for our benefit. Here's the reality. We don't always know what we should pray. Here's something you need to take great joy in. The burden isn't completely upon you to always be able to know exactly what you need and what to bring before God. Here's what we're simply called to do. To pray and to trust. To trust and to obey. Remember from last week that this was foundational. That we participate with God in this process of Him making us who He wants us to be. The reality is His goals, His purposes, His intentions they're often so different from mine. I mean, here, I'm just going to be honest with you. Here's what I want. I want health. I want hair. I want, I want stability. I want clarity. I want provision. I want direction. These are things that from my vantage point, God, these are good things. So I'm going to start praying for those things. God, I pray for health for my kids. I pray for provision for thus and so. Is it wrong to pray for those good things? Absolutely not. Nothing wrong with praying for good things. But here's the question. This is where every single person on this side of heaven has the same access to information. Do we always know if that's the avenue God wants to use in your life? Clarity, health, provision, growth. To make you to be who he wants you to be. Well, listen to what one author says. I thought this was so good. He says it better than I ever could, so let me just share it with you. He says, let us remember that while prayer is to be directed to God, it is not to be directing God. Did you catch that? Most people, at least for part of their pilgrimage, part of their life, they try to direct the Lord, thinking that that's what prayer is about. Let me explain the situation, Lord. Here's what you need to do. We say with great authority and great audacity. But Paul says, we know not how to pray. Someone comes to us and says, pray I'll get the job. Pray this project will prosper. Wait a minute, he says. So many things I thought would be wonderful have proven to be detrimental, a distraction, even a curse. Conversely, so many things I thought would be terrible have proven to be huge, to be a huge blessing. He goes on to say this. Don't miss this. 
Prayer is not getting my will done in heaven. Prayer is getting God's will done on earth. It's not me giving directions to the Father, but rather me saying, Father, direct me. I open the door for you to work. I hold up this need to you. I place this situation in your hand. I do all this through prayer because the word tells us that God has chosen to work through the vehicle of prayer. And if we do not pray, we limit what he would do, what he could do, what he desires to do. What does God want? He wants a relationship. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to interact with him. But he also wants this. He wants you to know that you don't have to have all the answers. That you don't have to be the master and commander of your own life. That you don't always have to know what to say when you're praying. That you don't have to have some sense when someone comes to you and says, pray for this. Well, God, no, you know what you need to do? You need to be comforted that the Holy Spirit is actually praying with groanings that can't even be uttered. That he's got your back. That you can take comfort in this reality that he is with you. Let me see if I can illustrate this with this guy right here. This is little Rexy. Now, I think he's named inappropriately because this is actually a triceratops, but my four-year-old likes the name Rexy, so that's who he is. He's Rexy. And every single night, Rexy has got to be around in order for little Liam Neal Spencer to be able to comfortably and calmly go to sleep. Rexy has to be there. And when Rexy's not there, no one's having any fun. No one's getting any rest. But as soon as we see Rexy, ah, there's great comfort. Now, here's the deal. This is just stuffing, right? It's cloth, it's dyed, it's, it's got little eyeballs on it that if you look at it, too, it's scary to me how big those eyes are. But it's just a toy. But this little simple toy brings great comfort to the heart of a four-year-old. In juxtaposition to that, in contrast to that, you have the Spirit of God praying on your behalf. Praying on your behalf, making intercession for you, praying for the things that God wants to do in your life on your behalf. So should you be worried, freaked out, frizzled and frazzled and frustrated that you've got to have this awesome, powerful prayer life in order for God to move? Now, stay with me. Yes and no. You say, what do you mean? You need to be open. You need to be constantly coming to him. You need to be leaning into him. You need to be conversating with him. But do you always have to know what to do and what to say and where to go and how long is it going to be? And No. You know what you do need to do? You need to come like this and say, God, I'm open. I'm open. Here I am. Here's my business. Here's my relationships. Here's my resources. Here's my finance. Everything, Lord. You do what you want to do. And then, you know what you can do? When the problems happen, when pain comes into the equation, you can trust. You know what? The Holy Spirit's praying on my behalf. I'm open to him. I know God is using this. I know he's in control. I don't have to worry. I don't have to freak out. I didn't pray about it enough. I didn't, I didn't have the faith. Gosh, that's so far from the truth. I think when we get to heaven, one day we'll realize, you know what? It's kind of like that poem, Footprints in the Sand. You ever read that? God, I didn't realize how much you were right there holding me up, walking me through. Just help me to trust you. 
Help me to trust you. We have the truth of God's Spirit. He has got your back. Rexy's wonderful, but one day he'll go away for little Liam. That's not going to do enough for him. And if you cling to anything or anyone else for you to be your comfort, it'll pass. But be comforted with this truth. Don't know what you need? Join the club. Get in line. But be comforted. The Spirit of God is working on your behalf. All he is looking for is not your ability, but your availability. Be available to him. And with this as the backdrop, he now moves into the one, one of the most often quoted, loved, and powerful passages, not only in this chapter, but dare I say, one of the best in the Bible. It has everything to do with our second point about being a bit more confident. Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. Here's this beautiful promise. Everything that's happening... God is working it together. The highs, the lows, the good and bad, the fun and not fun, the painful and the joyful, he's mixing it together for good. For example, people love watching some of these people do their thing in the kitchen, right? Celebrity chefs, taking all different ingredients, working them together for something good. I mean, they'll take a 28-minute episode and work together the ingredients in their recipe for a culinary masterpiece. Well, so too, God is working together the ingredients of your life to make you the masterpiece he's called you to be. What does this mean? Where it says that he's doing this for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, one author says this, God does not work all things together for good for those who merely believe that he will. Oh my goodness, it's this participatory thing again. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. That is, who are satisfied with all that he is in Jesus. We do not have time to linger on that line, but I hope it brings impact to your heart of what it really means to love the Lord. I just want to say it one more time. Those who are satisfied with all that he is in Jesus... In unpacking this concept, meaning called according to his purpose, he goes on to say, these two conditions of Romans 8 are two sides of the same coin. On the underside is the work of God calling into being the new heart to love God, and on the other side is the experience of that divine work, love to God. The way you know you're called is by whether your heart opens to the grace of God and is drawn out to God with a satisfaction that overcomes the competing allurements of this world and frees you for a life of love. You go, wow, what a master with the pen, whoever that author is. Let, let me just put it in the NIV, Neil's interesting version. You know what this means really simply? You're legit. That's all it means. What do you mean? He's working all things together for those who are truly saved. How's that evidenced? It's by a relationship of love. It's by this dynamic that, gosh, he's got you. And so he goes on to just explain this in verses 29 through 30. He says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
that he might be called the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. He's saying, listen, catch this. Be a bit more confident. Why? Listen to the promise. He's working all things together for good. Pay attention to the process. He's saying God has chosen you for himself. He's chosen you to be saved from sin and death. And he's chosen you to be conformed to the image of his son. He uses three terms here to foreknow. What does that mean? To have intimate, accurate knowledge of the future. Second word, predestined. It just simply means to preordain, to determine beforehand. Glorify. It means perfected, freed from sin. And so what he's saying is simply this. God has two purposes in this plan. It's your good and his glory. It started in eternity past where he's chosen you in Christ, and he predetermined that one day you will be like his son. Now, just as a side note, predestination applies only to saved people. You say, what do you mean? Nowhere in the Bible does God predestine some people to heaven and some people to hell. One is only condemned because of their simple refusal to trust Jesus. Those whom he chose, what is it? He's justified them. He's also glorified them. This means our standing before God in his sight, you're already glorified. Gosh, don't miss this, church. When he sees you, you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're forgiven. You're free. This means in our standing before the Lord, we've been glorified. And this will be fully revealed. It's like a present under the Christmas tree. Oh, it's in there. It's already there. It's in all of its glory, whatever that toy is. And when you open it up on Christmas Day, ah, it's realized unto you. It's the same for your heaven day. Ah, it's, ah there I am. See, this is amazing. The promise. He's working all things together for good. The process. Listen, he foreknew, predestined, glorified. And then for the rest of the chapter, you know what it's like? He's in these prison chains, but I feel like he just kind of starts dancing as he begins to think about this because he goes into this massive run-on about our position in Christ. These three points to consider, they should lead us to be a bit more confident. Church, listen, let me see your eyes. You have a promise. God is working all things together for good. You're going through that process. Listen, he called you, he foreknew you, he's predestined that you will become more like his son. And now don't forget your position. This is what the rest of the chapter is all about. Look at verse 31. If you're still with me, say, I'm going to be a bit more confident. Okay, you're still with me. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword. He is looking for a simple yes or no answer. What's the answer to Paul's run-on rhetorical question? Anybody know? No. Okay. One person knew that. Let's do this. I want to ask you to do something with me. Would you stand with me for a moment? 
I want to read this passage to you one more time. And when I finish, I want us to answer Paul's rhetorical run-on question with a resounding answer. We're going to practice this now. What's the resounding answer we're all going to give? Starts with an N, ends with an O, and it rhymes with O. I don't know how to make it. It's, okay, here we go. Let me read this passage to you, and then let's respond together. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. He beat death, guys. He's even seated at the right hand of God. He's also making intercession for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, the resounding answer of Coastline Calvary Chapel and Gulf Breeze is no. no, 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 no. That's 800 font. I couldn't make it any bigger. Like, there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. Okay, you can grab a seat. Paul wraps this up by reminding people, listen, suffering, it's always been a part of the life of the people of God. He quotes Roman, uh, Psalm 44, verse 22 there in Romans 8, 36, where he says, as it is written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep to the slaughter. For years as a kid, I would read this powerful passage in Romans 8 and then start reading about sheep, and I'm like, what, what, this was so awesome. What is this talking about? Here's what he's saying. Suffering is nothing new to God's people. It is not, please don't let me lose you yet. I don't have a bunny illustration, but don't, don't let me lose you. Suffering is not the negative proof for a loveless God. It is often the tool in his hand to make you who he wants you to be. Some of you will not believe that. Because you're going to experience pain and problems, suffering, death, and setback. And you will look at that through this lens. See, this is all junk. This is a waste of a time. Why is that? Please don't tune out. Please let me just share this truth with you. Many people today think love for God is a feeling. And this is where we are as a culture. We think if we say, I love God, then here's what should happen. God should bend over backwards to make our lives luxurious. And then when reality hits and our lives are less than luxurious, we begin to doubt God's love, maybe even his existence. Why does that happen? Where is the disconnect? I don't read Greek, but if you could read this passage in its original language, it hits it on the nose. What do you mean? Here's the disconnect. Paul's concept of loving God, please don't tune out, was rooted in the truth that we're sinners, deserving only condemnation. And God is our holy creator and judge who in his mercy rescued us from death. So here's the attitude prevalent amongst many of us in this room, in this culture. We want to believe that we're basically good people. 
kind of, maybe we wouldn't articulate this, but our attitudes and actions do, we kind of deserve whatever we want. Because though we may not articulate this, we know it's not the right thing to say in church, but we're good people. So we kind of deserve health. A government that shouldn't crumble. We should deserve provision. Here's what Paul knew. The only right I have is condemnation. So what should our attitude be? It should be one of gratefulness, contentment, not entitlement or greediness. Why? Because when you look, look at the cross, you realize what I deserve is death. Anything better than that is a bonus. Right? What I earn, what I deserve is condemnation. But God, through his love in Christ, has set me free. So should nakedness or peril or sword, should that be the proof that God doesn't love me? No, the proof that God loves me is right there. And this is kind of what separates a believer, I believe that, and a believer. <laughs> Someone who's kind of jumped in full force. Someone who realizes that the gospel is good news because of the bad news that we're sinners separated from God. Recognize this simple truth. Man, you're more than a conqueror. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's what he says in verse 37. Let's finish this up. He says, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, any other created thing, he's speaking in every kind of dimension he can think of. Nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing physical or spiritual, material or immaterial, past, present, or future, nothing will separate you from the love of God. So what should we do? We should be a bit more confident a bit more confident. Why? Because of these three simple things. I even tried to alliterate them with P's. Because of the promise we're given. What's the promise? He's working all things together for good. Well, what's the process? Gosh, he called you. He predestined you. He foreknew you. You're going to be glorified. This is the process and the position. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But you've got to see that through the accurate lens, which you and I deserve as condemnation and death. So do not interpret trouble and trial as, well, that's the proof that God doesn't love me. That's why he quotes there, Psalm 44, 22. God's people have always encountered difficulty. Always. That is not the proof that God doesn't love. That's the proof that this world is not as it should be, that there is sin and there needs to be a reckoning. And God, through his son, has taken care of that. See, this chapter is amazing, it's powerful, it's transformational, it has life-giving promises. But do we enjoy them? I don't know. Honestly, I think most of us, and let me just speak about myself, I don't want to put you in this boat if you're not in there with me, we can live frustrated. We can live hurried and worried. Corey Ten Boom once said, worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it, empty to, it empties today of its strength. That's true. Well, what do we need to do? There's so much in this chapter, right? Remember the highlights? Like, goodness gracious, so much there. Remember what I simply want to encourage you to do this morning? To, to maybe be comforted, right? Like, 
Little Rexy's great, but the Holy Spirit making intercession for us on our behalf is so much better. Be a bit more confident because of the promise, the process, and the position. How can I illustrate this truth? Let me just share a story. I'll never forget when um, a dear friend of mine who I've known for, goodness, I guess I am dating myself for nearly 20 years. We served in ministry together. We first met in Ensenada, Mexico on a missions trip when I was 18, I guess. And then ended up having the opportunity to serve at the same church in Santa Barbara, California for a number of years and then partnered together in mission trips in Europe and all over the place. And I'll never forget when Pastor Jess McKernan visited my family and I when we were living in Destin. At that time, he was serving as a missionary and church planner in Galway, Ireland. And the church in Destin would support him with prayers and resources and things like that. And I remember um, when he came, he uh, just kind of shared with the church uh, who he was and what he's doing. And it's been neat to see how God has interwoven that story to where now he's actually the pastor of that church. And actually this weekend, he's in Ireland continuing the work of mission that they started there years ago with 17 people from Coastline Destin, which is just so awesome and encouraging. But I say all that to say this. I remember when he first came to Destin and uh, I thought, man, he's in the Emerald Isle. He needs to experience the Emerald Coast, right? Like it's kind of cold and damp and dark. Let's get that boy on the water, right? Let's take the paddle boards out. Let's, let's kind of go through the Destin Harbor and watch the dolphins and, you know, out, get out there and enjoy it. And it was his first time paddle boarding in the coastal waters of Florida. Well, in that Destin Harbor, it's beautiful, right? It's fun, but there's rip currents. There's tons of boats, too many tourists, even sharks, but it's still, you know, all sorts of fun. We were having a good time. And he was on kind of one of those regular paddle boards. We were just gliding along. Well, when it was time to head back in, you know, you'd have to turn around. The current changes a little bit. <laughs> the wind picks up. And Jess is the sweetest guy. You're never going to hear a complaint come out of his mouth. But boy, did you see it on his face. Like he's there beating the water to death trying to make it through the current and I keep saying how you doing bud loving it buddy this is great grinning and bearing it you know and I felt so bad because I was just kind of gliding along you say what do you mean well I had this board that was a gift I didn't pay for this board I, I know the guy that started the YOLO brand and so when I got to know him he said Neil why don't you take this board out and I've tried to give it back to him like eight times and he doesn't take it so I had this 14 foot YOLO prowler that when you see it this picture doesn't really do it justice. In fact, Mad Dog, why don't you go ahead and bring that board in so you can get a better sense of what this looks like. This board, the way it's constructed and how it's been designed and, you know, just the perfect balance of it, it's not meant to be in the surf. It's really a racer. And actually, the man who's carrying it today, he goes like on 30-mile races. I go for three minutes. He goes for 30 miles. When he saw this board, he's like, hey, we should go on a race together. It's like, yeah, maybe just three minutes, you know. But anyway, when you see this board, this is the YOLO Prowler. So my poor friend Jess McKernan, he's just beating the water to death. And you know what I'm doing? I'm kind of not being a good host. <laughs> I'm just kind of gliding in the harbor because I'm on the Prowler. Now, why do I share this with you this morning? Here's what I want you to get. 
Obviously, if there's any excuse to bring a surfboard into the church, why not? But here's the reason I share this with you this morning. This passage this morning, this promise, this process, your position, no matter what you go through in life, you need to ride that prowler. You say, what do you mean? You need to step into this promise, recognize the process that's doing, that God is doing, and enjoy your position. Memorize Romans 8, 37, 36, 38, 39, 8, 28 if you need to. Tattoo it. I'm okay with that. Whatever you need to do to ride this prowler through life, this is where you begin to experience the peace of God that guards your heart and mind. By how? By riding that prowler. Now, let's give Mad Dog a round of applause. He stood up here and kind of gave us just a great illustration. We pray no one in the first row dies as right now we turn. It's all going to be okay. We've got, like, you know, insurance of some kind. Okay, anyway, this passage, these truths, here's what I hope you get. They're like a prowler. What do you mean? As you go through life, these truths can cut right through the challenges of life and the lies of the enemy. There's a well-known Bible scholar, Oswald Chambers, who said this, huge waves that would frighten an ordinary swimmer produce a tremendous thrill for the surfer who has ridden them. Let's apply that to our own circumstances. The things we try to avoid and fight against, tribulation, suffering, persecution, are the very things that produce abundant joy in us. We are more than conquerors through him. And all these things, not in spite of them, please catch that, not in spite of them, but in the midst of them, So here's my encouragement to you this morning, sweet church. Ride that prowler. Say, what do you mean? Own these truths. Own these truths. Own these truths. Be comforted. You don't always know what you need. You don't have to. The Holy Spirit is there making prayers that are like groanings that can't even be uttered on your behalf. Take comfort in that. Take comfort in that. That I've got the Holy Spirit. He's on my behalf. But not only that, we could do with a bit more confident Christians. You say, what do you mean? Not arrogant Christians. Not prideful Christians. Not confident in who they are. But confident in who their God is. That there's this promise. That there's this process. And you have this beautiful position that nothing's ever going to separate you from the love of God. So here's how I feel at 1021 on a Sunday morning. To the best of my ability, I feel like I've, I've done my part to explain and to share these truths. Not perfectly, not completely, <laughs> not fully. There's so much more we could say. But enough to where I do believe there's space now for God's spirit in your heart by his word to work out these truths. So here's your part. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever this morning, and maybe you want to remember this, there's always the same response to God's word. Repentance and faith. Always, 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 always. Maybe for the first time. I didn't know about this God. I didn't know that I deserved condemnation. I didn't know that I'm a sinner. Here's what you need to do. You need to align your mind with the truth of God's word. That's what it means to repent first and foremost, to change your mind. 
It's not changing your actions, not first and foremost. It's saying, listen, I was thinking this way, but now I'm thinking this way. I'm aligning my mindset with God's truth. I'm repenting. I'm turning from and turning to. And then I need to place my trust. I need to do this. This is what trust is. It's jumping in. It's not an intellectual agreement. Yeah, I believe Jesus. No. No. That's called faith that. Faith that saves no one. Faith in saves everyone. Demons have faith that. Yeah, they know. But their attitudes, actions, and choices, they don't reflect love and community and service to God. Faith in is what saves. If you're a believer this morning, perhaps you're holding bitterness in your heart towards someone you need to forgive. You need to repent of bitterness and align with forgiveness and jump in through your attitude, actions, and choices and forgive this week. You need to be comforted that God's spirit is praying on your behalf. You need to stand confident that he's working all those things for your good, that there is this process he's working and this position you have but you have to live these things out or else you're kind of falling into what we shared earlier this morning. The greatest sin in America is listening to a sermon. It's putting in your time. You're like, man, you got six minutes till it's been an hour and a half. And then don't do that. Don't do that. Just simply align your heart and mind with God. Repent and trust. It may begin in the mind, the trust, the faith but it's really evidenced through your life. And so my hope and prayer in this time of service, of teaching, goodness gracious, is that you'd be comforted. Some of us just need that today. God's got me. His Spirit's praying on my behalf. That's what I needed today. Great. Maybe some of you need to be a little bit more confident. Like you're always worried, frizzled, frazzled, frustrated. Worry only ever steals today's joy, robs us of tomorrow's life. Stay confident in God. He knows what he's doing. He's got you where he wants you. Keep your head up. Follow him. And just keep loving him, connecting with his people, and living on mission with him. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse, here at Coastline Calvary Chapel. 